Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So this morning we are going to look at, uh, the message this morning is titled, Everyone Has a Used To Story. If we really look at our lives and we look at, you know, the, the, the time that maybe before we knew Jesus, y'all remember those days? Maybe some of you are saying, man, Pastor Noah, I'm still there. Okay, so I'm hoping that this morning that, that, that there, is, there is transition happening, that there is a surrendered life happening, that we will begin to see Jesus working in our lives. But if, we've, if you've walked with the Lord long enough and you've allowed Him to work in your life, each of us should have a used-to story. Well, I used to be like this, but now I'm like this. I used to have this problem, but now I have this. We have to realize that Jesus... And the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life is the catalyst that causes change in our life. And we got to realize, and sometimes we don't even realize the things that we used to do that we don't do any longer. Those things just kind of change in our life. Now, how many of you know that in your high school days, you hung out like a high schooler and, you know, you did things like high schoolers do. And, you know, we thought we were real smart back then. I can attest to many of us, we thought we knew it all and we were so ignorant. You're still a high school age. I'm so sorry. But I'm telling you, you got a lot to learn. You have not arrived. You are just beginning this journey. But, but the, the, the more that we experience life, the longer we're alive, we learn things, we discover things. And, we, and I hope that in your journey of following Christ, you have seen moment by moment of change in your life. Okay? But I really want us to focus on that you have a used-to story. So... Uh, each of you have a story that's unique. That's the cool thing. You know, it's not that God has created cookie cutter Christians to where everybody has the same story. Everybody has the same background and everything looks exactly the same. The cool part is we kind of all come from different backgrounds. We come from different places. We come up maybe even from different denominations. This is a non-denominational church. This isn't Baptist. This isn't Pentecostal. This is whatever God wants it to be. I never grew up as a, a denominational uh, attender. I've never been in the Baptist church. I've never been, you know, in the Methodist church. I've never been in the whatever church you want to call a denominational church. When I say denominational church, whatever you think of, I didn't grow up like that. So I've talked to a whole bunch of pastors, and they, they tell me, well, in the Baptist, we do it like this. Well, over here, we do it like this. And I say, well, I don't know none of that. So they have said that that is actually to my advantage because I am not a denominational guy. So I'm not going to get caught up in, well, this is how we do it or this is how they do it. But my, my roadmap of saying, Lord, how do you want to do it? What is in your heart? What does it really look to love? What does it look like to love people? What does it look like to love God? And those are the two things that we stand on. We love God and we love people. I don't need to have a committee to figure out how we're going to love people. We just need to do it. For all you Baptist boys, I have learned a little bit about denominations. Let's have a committee and see how we're going to love people. Come on, man. All right, let me get back to my non-denominational message. All right. So, you know, in our lives, sometimes our lives are a little more interesting, and sometimes they, see a little bit, they seem a little bit duller and boring, right? The older we get, we like the dull and boring. We don't like the adventurous changing like, oh, my gosh, what did I just do, and now i got to have consequence for my choices. Now, early in your life, how many of you made some, I'm going to call it, stupid mistakes? Now, if you are continually making stupid mistakes, you got to quit doing that. 
Give you a little reprimand there, right? Quit doing it. Like if you keep making dumb mistakes, you're going to get dumb consequences. All right, let's pray. Let's go home. Thank you, Lord. For, I'm just, but that right there can change your life. You are, you are experiencing in your life based on what the choices you've made, good, bad, or ugly. But we have to allow Jesus, we've got to allow his Holy Spirit into the equation so that we start making right choices, God-centered choices, biblical choices, and we are not just pe- people of chaos just walking around making all these horrific decisions and choices and then saying, Lord, save me. What are you doing? Why am I experiencing this? Poor me. When all along in this book, he's written and told you everything you need to do to have a successful life. So we need to know what the word says. But the cool part is everybody has a story that's unique. No one else has your story. That makes you special this morning in a good way. If your mom ever told you you're special, you're special in a good way this morning, okay? Come on. We all right? Need coffee? We okay? Everybody's laughing. Everybody's smiling. Is anybody going to sleep yet? All right. If they, if they fall asleep, just push them over real hard. We got soft chairs in here. All right, so many times, you know, in our life, you know, the stories we tell, you know, it's, we have remember wins. You, you ever done that? And that's how you know you're getting older. Hey, man, remember when? And now you remember, remember when, like way back when? You know, we all have remember when stories. We tell stories to our friends and families. And, you know, um, the things that we value are the moments in our life that we're the most excited. We tell those stories. Now, sometimes we edit them. Because we might be telling them to our kids. We don't tell them the whole story, but we tell them the story. Or how about the fisherman story? You ever caught a little minnow that was this big? Oh, man, it fought all day long. And actually, I just pulled it out of the bait bucket, but whatever. You know, so, you know, I, I think we have different stories that we tell based on our perception. Sometimes we fake the reality of what really happened to make it look a little bit better. Um, how about the make-believe story, the fairy tales? How many of you like love Disney movies? Life ain't like that. Quit loving them. All right? It's not, all, it's not always the fairy tale. The prince comes in, and oh, everything's good. Everything's beautiful. It's hard for a little bit, and it's a Cinderella story ending. Life is not always like that, but sometimes we tell the stories because we are trying to perceive it in a way that makes us happy, but it's not true reality, right? But we have to realize we got to look at our story. We got we to gotta really call it what it is, see what we've been through, Okay? Um, the, the question we have to ask, what is really your real story? You know, if you, ta- if you put the, take the facade off, if you take the mask off and you say, hey, you know, what was your childhood like? Man, Pastor Noah, don't ask me. That was hard. My parents were mean. They were cruel. Like, you know, and, and literally, not just disciplinaries, but, you know, I've talked to some of you. Some of you had a very rough childhood. Right? It's just the reality. You know, we didn't all just arrive where we're at. Some of us had to go through obstacles, through struggles. Maybe some of us grew up in broken families without a mom or without a dad, and we just had to figure it out. You know, it wasn't as happy ending as we wanted to be. But we have to realize that in our story, God knew the story before it unraveled. And he had a plan to take that story and, and, and sprinkle his goodness on it and to bring beauty out of the ashes, to bring the beauty out of the destruction, to bring awesomeness out of our stupidity. That he can work that in our lives. But you have to stop and he has to start. And that's what I talk about, that, that used to story. There has to be a moment where you gave up, you just stopped, and you said, okay, Lord, I'm done. I'm done fighting, I'm done running, I don't know what to do. And, and you just have to have that, that, that used to story usually starts right there. Now, before that, you got all kinds of stories, man. 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I know Samuel's going to school this year and I've been really praying, Lord, how much do I tell him? What do I tell him? What do I leave out? What does he need to know? What does he not need to know? You know, but I believe that, you know, through your story, it can help others. Through your story, it can glorify God. When you really identify in your life the story of the used to, it'll encourage you to say in your life that God is at work, that he's working in you, he's moving in your life. All right? So we got to look close at our lives to see the handiwork of God in our lives sometimes, but you should see the handiwork of God in your life. Maybe there's gifts. Maybe you're musically inclined. Maybe you're artistic. Maybe you're smart. Like, I'm talking crazy smart. You know, we were talking about education and Becky versus me. And on the way to church this morning, uh, we were talking. We said, man, it don't matter. You know, like, you just need to graduate. Because I don't know, it came up, the word about diploma. And then in, in, a, in a car of kids, the conversation goes all over the place. Becky said diploma. Cassie's like, what is a diploma? And then, then I said, well, it's a piece of paper that says you've graduated. What is graduation? Oh, okay. So to squash a long story, we said, you just need to finish. That's their job. And then we started talking about, <laughs> uh, so Becky was number 11 of, of all the top class. I was somewhere in there. Like, I don't even know what number, I, I didn't care. Just telling you. But so, so I thank God that Becky was like, all that matters is you graduate. And at the end of it, you know, that really mattered. And she made me feel real good this morning. She said, so just because daddy didn't score that high, does that make him any less valuable? And I'm just like, I mean, this could go south really quickly. Like, you know, because, you know, it's not that I couldn't make straight A's. I just didn't care to work that hard. Just kind of giving you a little bit of character flaws here, right? I probably could have made straight A's. I was smart enough. I just didn't apply myself hard enough. And mom and dad were good with A's and B's. I didn't want to make C's. So that, you know, good. But, you know, we, we got, you know, the biggest thing is sometimes we compare what does success really look like. At the end of the line, do you make it to heaven or not? There's going to be a lot of variation in between here and there. But the, at the end is that you get the reward. That's what's most important. It don't matter where you scored. It don't matter how long you've been a Christian. The main thing is, is that you know Christ and at the end of your life, there was a used-to story that you tell, even if it's closer to the end or early, whatever time it falls in your life, that there is a moment of where you surrendered your life to Christ and you know you will make it to heaven. There's going to be a lot of dumb stuff we do. If Jesus sits there and looks at it, he's like, all right, well, let me get my book and let me see what you did and didn't do. He's like, Ooh, all right, let me get to this stuff after Christ, right? Because if we go back, got a whole big old book of jazz. That's what I'm going to call it, okay? All right. So when we experience the power of God in our lives, people respond in one of two ways. So they either they respond in fear or they respond in surrender. When people experience the presence of God, this is what happens. So fear or misconception of who God is sometimes scares us and we run. Have you ever ran from God? Nobody's ever on three, y'all? He's lying. Okay. All right. So we run from God and, you know, running at some point gets tiring. It makes it where it's not worth it because... God don't have to work that hard to keep up with us. You know, I think it's almost like that cartoon, you know, where somebody's running and they just pick them up by the shirt tail, and they're, they're running in place, but they're not going anywhere. It's like, oh, I'm tired. And then he says, okay, you're done running. He sets you down. He says, okay, let's deal with this, right? So we either run or we surrender. Now, running it has a tendency to, we feel like we are escaping God, but now let me tell you what. Most of us have come to a relationship with Christ by either hitting rock bottom or getting to the point of where we were cornered. I got any amens on that? 
Now, let me tell you something. You don't have to get to the bottom of the barrel to surrender to God. You don't have to keep fighting. You don't have to keep running. You can stop right now in your tracks, whatever you've done, wherever you're at, wherever you're going, stop in your tracks and surrender today. I want to give you that nugget of revelation. Now, a lot of people say, well, I'm not ready to serve the Lord. What if you die tomorrow? Well, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, it's the most important question. Because you can run so long that you run straight to the grave. And you never had time. But God has given us adequate time. One thing I love about being a pastor, man, I will draw the line in the sand. You cannot leave this place and say, well, Pastor Noe never told me. I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to encourage you. But I want you to realize that today you can find him right now. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13 in the NIV, it says, When you call on me and come to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Verse 13, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, this is a game of hide and seek, right? But God hides in a way that it's pretty easy to be found, but you have to be looking for him. Right? You have to focus. You know, it's like if I sit on the couch and I'm playing hide and seek with my kids and they're like, all right, daddy, come find me. And I sit there with a the remote. We're still hiding, dad. Oh, I forgot to go find them, right? You have to engage your mind, your focus, your attention, and you have to seek for God. But it's like, you know, it's always funny when you, when you reverse the roles, right, and the dad hides. And most of the time, I hide in a computer. I'm like, There's no way this is going to work, and it works awesome. I remember I was at my grandparents one time, and my grandparents, they got stuff everywhere, but there's not a lot of places to hide. So all the kids, we, and we had this little bit, I mean, it's this little bitty circle. I'm huge. So, I'm, I mean, it's not going to be hard to hide me. So I said, well, whatever, we got pillows right here. So I laid down, and we just put pillows all on the side. Just laid them up against me, and I'm talking this big blob of pillows. Like, I'm not a small guy to hide, right? So they come in, they're looking. Where's he at? Where's he at? And I'm looking through the hole of the pillows. I'm laughing. I mean, I'm sure all the pillows are shaking from me laughing. And I'm just like, I can't believe it. Man, and there's like four of them piled up. We don't know where he is. So I was like, whatever, I'm going to scare them. Man, I went out of there. Ah, ah, they started crying. I was like, are you serious? Right? I was hiding right there. You got to realize that's how God does, man. He is right there, but sometimes we're looking past it. This was this little bitty area, but they just weren't seeking in the right kind of way. They weren't looking. They were just kind of looking at broadly rather than specifically. They could have found me if they would have been looking. All right? So all people, this includes you, me, our children, and our children's children until Christ returns. So we realize, we realize that Jesus came and he ministered on the earth for 33 years. Then he left. He took his place at the right hand of God. Then he sent the Holy Spirit to us. The Holy Spirit, you know, will continually move in the lives of those who come to the knowledge of Jesus. So we got to realize the Holy Spirit keeps working in us. He's working out this story. He's working in our lives. Um, and we got to realize that, that the Holy Spirit enables each of us to live a spirit-led, powerful life. Not a spirit-led, defeated life. This is not the kind of life that Jesus came and died on a cross and went to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit for us so that we could live an unvictorious life. But he has called us to live victorious lives. What are you talking about, Pastor? No, I'm talking about addiction. I'm talking about strongholds. You know, where we, we were talking about breakthrough this morning where there is something that changes in your life. Maybe this wall that has always been there. God just hits it with his power, crumbles it, craters it, and removes it out of your life. That's what I'm talking about, powerful lives, okay? So we need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is at work in the earth today. 
It's not like he's up there just waiting saying, all right, well, tell me when the alarm goes off and we come back and we take everybody back with us. No, he is at work right now in you and he's right now at work in me. So you and I should be amazed at the Holy Spirit and what he can do in and through us. You know, so think about it. What is the wow factor for you when we think about, you know, God? What is something that impresses you? Uh, You know, we've been watching the Olympics and some of the Olympics are really cool. Some of them not so much. I'm watching, I was like, why is this even a sport? This is kind of dumb, but whatever. You know, I mean, you understand, you know, like, so like some of them, I mean, but I mean, some of like if I had to do any of them, it'd be like almost impossible. Or, you know, we're racing, it's like, did you even run? Yeah, I was running as fast as I could. You're just way faster, right? You know, if we really were, were put, but you know, what amazes you? What is the wow factor? You know, so we're going to look at three different passages this morning really quickly, and I want you to pay attention first and foremost to the individuals that were touched, the individuals that had that changed life, okay? And then secondly, I want you to look at how the people throughout these stories responded, so the people that were impacted and the response of the people, okay? So in these passages, we're going to categorize the people in this story in three categories, all right? So anytime that you have to always realize that any time that somebody experiences the power of God and there is a used, used to or a miracle that happens in their life, it's an awesome thing. But we're going to group it into three areas, the critic, the crowd, and the church, okay? So let's look at the critic first, okay? So the, a critic is a person who expresses an unfavorable opinion of something, a person who judges. You ever seen one of those? They'll criticize everything, even something that's great. Well, I think... We didn't ask your opinion, but you're, you're just a critic, right? You're going to say what you think, how you think it, and you cannot, you cannot, your mind is made up almost before they do anything. The critic is always looking for the negative flaw. The critic is always trying to make you to look the fool, right? So we have to realize that the critic is always going to have an unfavorable opinion of everything, okay? So just because you have an opinion, it doesn't mean that you should share it. That's one thing that the critics should always be made aware of. But a critic, they're always going to share their opinion because they are always right and you're always wrong and they are the critic, okay? So critics share it without you asking if you care to hear it or you don't care to hear it. Like, you ever had somebody say, well, I just think, you know, and they're just being a critic of it and you didn't even ask their opinion. They just showed up and started saying what they wanted to say. You know, you're like, who's this guy? Who invited him to the party, right? The critic is always there, okay? They say, well, I think that, dot, 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 fill in the blank. Everybody knows what a critic is, right? Yeah. When the campaigns and all that stuff, elections, oh, buddy. Critics on every channel, right? And if somebody wins, they don't like when, oh, we got critics on the other side. Well, I told them, I said that, you know, there's always the critic. So today the world is full of critics, You know, you should do more. Well, maybe you should do less. No, you can't say that. No, that's offensive. No, you shouldn't act like that. You know, there's there's, everything is criticized. Don't force your opinion on others, right? You know, that's that's the that's what we try to tell the critic, but they don't care. They're gonna force their opinion on everyone. And all the while, when you encourage them not to, they force their opinion on you anyway. They don't really care. Right? So we have to realize in Isaiah 53, 3. You know, Jesus, it says that he was despised and he was rejected. He was personally and practically brought harm upon by the critic. So it, there were those who loved Jesus, but there were the critics that hated him. So we have to look at the, the critic is, is, is kind of a really a negative connotation of focusing on Jesus or the stories. So in Isaiah 53, 3, it says he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. 
That was talking about us, right? So in Matthew 12, 22 through 29, in the New Living Translation, so we're going to look at this first story. This was a story about a demon-possessed, blind, and mute individual. So it says, then, then a demon-possessed man who was blind, okay? So I want us to focus. He was blind, okay? So he was blind, and he couldn't speak, uh, was brought to Jesus. So he healed the man so that he could both speak and see. So we see a contrast of someone who could not, and then someone who could, right? So verse 23, the crowd was amazed and asked, could it be that Jesus is the son of David and the Messiah? So they, they, they were kind of judging him here. They weren't trusting the signs, the wonders. They weren't excited about that. They were judging him saying, is this guy really who he said he was? There was a judgmental spirit about it, right? It says, but then the Pharisees, so these were the religious leaders, heard about the miracle and they said, no wonder he cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan. He is the prince of demons. So they were calling Jesus the devil. How about a critic, right? You get it completely mixed up. You know, you're, 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 you got it completely opposite. They saw the miracle and the critic showed up and said, it is by the prince of demons that you accomplish this and that you do this work. So then Jesus, he responds, he says, because he knew their thoughts, he replied, he says, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feud will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Samon, Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. Verse 27, and if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcist? So he was saying, y'all do the same thing. So y'all are operating by demons also. Jesus had a good way of navigating the critic. He just did a great job at doing it, right? So it says, they cast out demons too, so they will be condemned for what they have said. But, I am, but if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of the strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. So this is what Jesus was talking about. He said the only way this can happen is if somebody binds and ties up the strong man. But we have to realize that the strong man was who? The devil. Right? So when he was referring to the, to the strong man, he was referring to the devil. And he says, somebody stronger than the devil, somebody bigger and badder, uh, you know, someone who is more powerful would have to come along. And this was Jesus. So we see in that story that demon-possessed man, he was blind and he couldn't speak. But, you know, he used to be blind and mute. You realize that? There was, there was a contrast there. He used to be. And then we see that, that, that the, the critic said, you do this by the works of Satan. Wow. You know, it'd be like you just say, like you just say, well, you're operating under Satan today this morning, Pastor Noe. Really? Okay. That's a new one. That would be the critic. If you're a critic in here, just stay seated and be quiet. Okay? <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I got some ushers and elders I can get you out of here. I'm just playing. You know, but that's what the critic, you, the critic wouldn't even let me speak this morning without having an opinion. Oh, well you, know, well, you don't know. You don't know where I've been. And everybody's been pretty cool this morning. So maybe we don't have super hardcore critics. But I think we can tap into that spirit of the critic. Now, you might have thought a whole bunch of stuff already this morning. You're like, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk to you about this later, Pastor Noe, right? Maybe, maybe you have thought about it, but you're not acting it out, right? So, but it's just a crazy assumption that this is the work of the devil. You know, but he says that if the kingdom of heaven has actually come to you by the Spirit of God, this is Jesus. So we have to realize that the critic will always criticize, okay? Pretty clear on what the critic is. So you always have people that will be a critic. Number two, the crowd, okay? So we have to realize that any time a miracle happens or somebody goes through a used-to a used story, so this is where we're making the, the, the connection. 
when there is a used to story, when there's a miracle in the life of someone, maybe it's just coming to salvation, there's always going to be the critic, there's going to be the crowd, or there's going to be the church. So we've cleared out what the critic is. Let's look at what the crowd will do. All right? So when we look at the crowd, the crowd is present often to be entertained, to watch what's going on. They're there for the fireworks. They bring their popcorn to the show. They want to see, man, it's good stuff. Watching the critic, watching the, you know, just they're just there for the entertainment. This is the attitude of the crowd sometimes. You know, have you ever seen an arti- artist or a performer on the streets and people gather around to see them do what they do? Maybe beating on pots, drums, whatever. Maybe it's a painter, it's a sculptor. Whatever it is, the crowd gathers around to see what's going on. Now, they're not following those artists or they're not, you know, you know, worshiping or be, they're just there to hang out. There's no there's no connection. There's no they're just there to be entertained. OK, so they like to stick around. But if they're not entertained, what happens? You ever stopped at some place and you're like, hey, this looks cool. And then you're like, never mind. It ain't that cool. And you move on. But if you're entertained, popcorn, man, hey, go get some more popcorn. It's really good. Right? You're sitting there to be entertained. But if, you, if you're not entertained, you just move on. Okay? So if you, don't like the crowd, you, you, you know, if you don't like the crowd or you don't like what's happening, do you know that the crowd can quickly become the critic? All right, I'm going somewhere with this. You know, if you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, who has seen the movie Gladiator? Who, okay, who has not seen the movie Gladiator? Oh, man, really? It's a man movie, so some of you ladies. Are, okay, is there a man in here that hasn't seen Gladiator? All right, you're going to bring your popcorn because you're going to be entertained. But there's this moment in the movie, sorry, rabbit trail, you know, where he, where he does, you know, he goes out and he's in this arena and he has to, he has to fight. I'll keep it kind of PG down a little bit. You know, he has to fight to survive and he is a commander of an army and he goes out there and he just slays everyone. And then he sit, drops his sword. He says, are you not entertained? And everybody doesn't know what to do because they were expecting the show, but it was just ABC. Everybody's did game over. But they were there to be entertained. You know, so the moment that that is asked, are you not entertained? And you say, oh, no, I'm not that interested. I'm not entertained. The crowd will move on. But as long as you are entertained, you stay present. You watch that movie, you will be entertained. All right. Sorry, it's a rated R movie. (laughs) Judge me and be the critic if you really want to. (laughs) Anybody turn into the critic all of a sudden? Okay, let me keep moving. All right. So we got to realize that, you know, it, it, so let's look at this other story here, Mark 5, 15 through 17. So this was a, a, a demons driven out by Jesus. So this was a man from the tombs. He, he went across the lake, and on this other side, there was this man in the tombs that would cut himself. He would scream all night. He was tormented by demons. Now, you say, Pastor Noe, every single one of these stories you're telling me are pretty radical. Yes, they're radical, because these people had a an awesome used to story they used to be this man or that you know and then they became this so he, he would it says that they would actually bind him with chains and he would break them by the now this was by the power of demons the demonic forces all of these things you know so we see this story and some of you say man i thought i was bad this guy was way out there he was really messed up he was oppressed he was in bondage but look if we look at this you know um it says, day and night he would cry out. He was tormented by evil spirits. And Jesus actually commands the spirit to come out. And he asks, this, he asks the, the demons, he says, what is your name? And he says, hey, we are legion because we are many. You know, and then they're like, hey, you know, don't cast us out, but cast us out into these pigs over here. So 
Jesus is like, okay. So he casts this, the demons into the pigs. 2,000 pigs run off a cliff. They die. The whole town is freaked out. They go tell what Jesus has done. And it's just like this crazy radical story. Now, I want you to pay attention that in these first two stories, these were Jesus' stories. This last story was a story of the disciples, okay? So I want you to also notice that because some of us will say, well, this was Jesus. This wasn't just people. Well, we're going to give you two stories that Jesus were part of Jesus' ministry. And then we're going to give you one story that was part of the disciples' ministry. And I believe that if it happened in the disciples' ministry, it can happen in our ministry. Okay? Because it wasn't just Jesus. Jesus was not the catalyst. It was the Holy Spirit working. Okay? Just wanted to add that in there. So all these pigs, they run off the cliff, they drown. So then in verse 15 of Mark 5, it says, So the crowd soon gathered around Jesus. Okay, the crowd showed up. And they saw that the man who what? Had been possessed. So by the legion of demons, he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Freaked them out. They didn't know what to think. They said, this guy who was bound, and, now I don't know if, they were, if he would, they were thinking he was just tricking them and he was going to turn back into this demon-possessed man. I don't know what was going through their mind, but he was sitting there in his right mind. You know, he had a had-been story. The power of God freed him, you know, by the word of Jesus. And it says, then those who had seen what had happened told others about the demon-possessed man and the pig. So the story spread. But look in verse 17, it says, and the crowd began to plead with them, Jesus for you to go away and leave them alone. He, they actually asked him to leave. They weren't comfortable. It was something they didn't, weren't familiar with. The crowd, it's all about convenience. The moments they had to answer say, wow, could this perhaps be Jesus, the Savior of the world? Could this actually be a true miracle, not by demons, but by the power of God? They were uncomfortable with it. So in the moment that the crowd is uncomfortable, they either move on or they ask the person to move on. And in this case, they said, Jesus, please go away from us idiots like like but now if you're in that situation are you going to be a part of the crowd you know i know you know maybe this morning you showed up and you didn't know what to expect of this church service we are a worshiping church so we had ministry time we had some stuff going on. i mean it didn't get crazy we didn't turn backflips yet i've never seen backflips if you do it make sure somebody films it but we just allow the spirit of god to move and we let god do what he wants to do we are not in a super huge hurry just to come in get out punch your car get your discount at the buffet and go home we need lives to be changed we need to encounter the presence of god and if you have not had a used to story i'm praying it happens today okay so we look in this story but the crowd you know when you get uncomfortable hey uh lunchtime buffet and i mean that's what the attitude of the crowd would be right? Or the critic, I'm not going to that church because that church is like that. I'm not saying stuff that they really, if it's the church's failure or fault or something big, but, you know, don't be the critic and don't just be the crowd, okay? So we see that they tell Jesus to go away. So in that Mark 5, 19 through 20, the response of the individual says, but Jesus said, told him, he asked, can I go with you? And he said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. And then verse 20, and everyone was amazed at what they told him. You know, so we see the crowd, they go from wow to woe real quick. They're like, wow, whoa, 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 that's too much, Lord. Wow, this is cool, you know, multiplying the bread and the fish. Hey, this is cool, we get to eat. Whoa, 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 this demon possessed us, a little radical. I'm okay with the fish and the loaves. This whole guy breaking chains, whatever, sitting right here next to me, I don't know if I'm okay with that. I could like break my neck, like you, you know, whatever. You, they, they weren't comfortable, so they go from a wow factor to whoa, 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 Jesus. 
can you please go? I'm not comfortable with that. So we got to realize that as we learn who Jesus is, we can trust him in any circumstance. The crowd doesn't know Jesus. You know, it's just like me. Now, I know some of you know me well. Some of you may know who I am and you don't know me real well. You may say, this pastor's kind of radical. If you know my heart and you spend any time with me, you know I love you. You know I care about you. So if you know that, if I say something hard, you can receive it. If you have no relationship and you're just part of the crowd, some of the things that I say this morning may be hard for you to receive. But at some point, the crowd could become the church. Okay? Maybe you want to stay a critic. Maybe you just want to be a part of the crowd. But I would beckon you to be a part of the church. All right? So if we look at this passage, you know, uh, it just keeps on going. Um, and, and Jesus, he, he throws something in here, you know, so it says, you know, the miracles, th- these, were, these were entertaining, they were good. You know, um, miracles were entertaining. You know, you think about it, man, you're seeing all these miracles, I'm like, man, this is cool, wonder what Jesus is going to do today. But we have to realize that it was the words of Jesus that convicted the hearts. It was what he said, not always what he did. Now, what he did should bear witness to what he said also. If he's performing these miracles by the power of God, and you understand that and you believe that, and you're not being the critic saying you are actually doing these by demons, and you get your mindset right, you can trust who Jesus is and the work that he does, and the, the, the witness or the miracles that happen actually bear witness to the words that he speaks, that they all work together rather than working against each other. So in John 6, 60 through 64, and then we're going to look at verse 66 through 67 in the New Living Translation. So it says, many of the disciples said, this is the disciples, these were the run, ones that were around, So they were right on that fringe of being the crowd in the church. They were close, but it says, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? So verse 61, Jesus was aware that the disciples were complaining, so he said to them. So have you all figured out Jesus knows what you think and what you you want to say even before you think it or before you even say it? He knew what they were thinking. And he drove out demons. And he always said the right thing. He was all God and he was all man. And he had the Holy Spirit within him. So this is what he says. He says, does this offend you? Like he didn't say, are you entertained? No, he said, does this offend you? Right? He says, that, that, he says, that, 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 that what will you think? He says, it, he says, well, what will you think if the Son of Man ascends to heaven again? So the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And this is what he says. And the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. But it says, but some of you do not believe. And at that point, listen to this. It says, many of the disciples, they turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turns to the 12 and he asks them, are you going to leave also? So, man, he was, it's kind of a rough day. You know, disciples had been following Jesus and, you know, he'd been doing miracles and the crowd was, was growing. And in that crowd, you know, that the crowd is where the disciples come from. You know, it's just not anybody. You, you, when you draw near to God, even to be entertained, there is the potential to go from the crowd to the church. There is, you know, when we get close around Jesus, there is faith to believe. Wow, man, I've never seen that. I don't understand that. But there's a big difference between understanding here and understanding here. But the crowd is often where the disciples came from. So he says, many left. That was the practical thing. It was hard. It was difficult. Then he looks at the 12 that had been with him the whole ministry. He says, do you want to leave too? I probably would have cried at that moment. But I've been with you. And, you know, he says, where would we go? 
what would we do? You alone have the words of life. Okay? So we have to realize the words that Jesus spoke, it often offended the crowd. Okay? So the crowd sticks around as long as it's convenient. If the message gets hard, they say, I'm out. Okay? All right. Let's look at the third one. Anytime there's a story of a used-to story or a used-to-be, there's always the critic. Then there's the crowd. But then there's the church. So we have to realize the church really accepts the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the disciples. You know, if it's a ministry of Jesus, hey, we're for it. If it's a ministry of the disciples, we're for it. So we have to realize the church should, now I'm going to say should, because I can't speak for all churches. I strive to speak for my church, and I know my heart, but the church should reflect, reflect the heart and the attitudes of Jesus at all times. Now, we're human, right? We have bad, everybody has bad days, right? So don't be mean to me if Pastor Noe has a bad day. Don't be a critic. Don't be a judge. You're like, man, I think I might be a little bit of critic. I might be a little bit of crowd. But, man, I hope you come to be the church. Okay? All right, so we're going to look at, you know, the church it was, was accepted the ministries. So in Acts 3, 7 through 11 in the NIV. So this was a ministry that happened from the disciples. So the first two were from Jesus. This one was from the disciples. Okay, so this is the ministry of Peter and John. So they were going to the, to the temple to pray, and a man crippled from birth who was daily carried to the temple entrance would come and he would beg. So this would be the equivalent of, you know, somebody just brings someone and they're, hang, they're hanging out right here in this front entryway just to hope that they can beg as people come and come to the church and leave the church. That's what it would look like, the temple, you know, different things like that. Um, so if we look at verse 7, uh, starting in Acts 3, it says, Then taking him by the hand, you know, so okay, let, let me give you a little bit more backstory on this. So, so the, the, the disciples are actually walking by, going to prayer. How many of you know that's a religious thing, right? Oh, I'm going to prayer. So this cripple says, hey, hey, can I have some money? He just asked, you know, you, you know, so they stop and they look at him. So the, the, the crippled man gives him his attention because he's expecting, well, maybe I'm going to get something out of this. So he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. And this is the response. Verse 7, it says, then taking him by his right hand, he raised him up. Now, the first thing I think, this guy's like, what the heck? They're going to drag me. You think of somebody that cannot walk, you know, practically what's going to happen? like, whoop, just kind of spin them around like, he's not, I'm not going to stand, I'm not going to, so these guys are going to drag me to the temple. What are they doing? But it says they reached out their hand, they grabbed him, they raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So I know at that moment, <laughs> man, I'm a believer, I'm changed, I'm like, holy smokes, what is going on? He could not walk from birth. So now I'm standing here all wobbly-like. You know, I'm believing he had to kind of learn to walk, like new infants learn to walk. I've never used my legs. I've never walked. He's standing up. And the miracle had already taken place. It was that easy. It was that simple. Okay? So then we continue on this story. It says, so then he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them. So this is, he was walking, he was leaping, and he was praising God. And it says, all the people that saw him walking and, and praising God, they recognized him. He was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were all filled with awe and astonishment at what happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So they were sticking around. They wanted to see what happened. So the signs and wonders in the church will always astonish and amaze, but it will draw you close to the heart of God. 
The church should be full of signs and wonders and expecting great things to happen. Why do we not see miracles all the time? I don't know. But if we never look or we never ask or we never hope to see them, we may go through a lifetime never seeing a miracle. Now you say, Pastor Noe, how do you know miracles are real? Because I know that I used to have a heart of stone. And God gave me a heart of flesh. So you say, well, that's not a miracle. Oh, yeah, it is. Because I used to be angry, and then I was patient, and I was kind of not saying I don't get mad. If I get mad, the pastor knows he's having a bad day. But I have been freed from that. The man that I used to be is not the man that I am now. God just changed that. So you say, so you're saying that's a miracle? I'm saying that's absolutely a miracle. It is a miracle that God does in the heart of every single person. But if I can't believe for God to do a supernatural transformation of the heart... How in the world am I going to believe God to cause the lame to walk? But you've got to realize the first and greatest miracle God ever does in our life is the transformation of the heart. Now, this isn't physical. It's not like they gut you, take your heart, yeah, he messed up, bad one, put you. No, this is a supernatural work. It's just a supernatural work. Okay? So we have to realize that the response of the church should be in a response to praising God. So we have to also realize that the church grows when the critics criticize. The church can thrive in a moment, moment of being criticized. And against culture, completely speaking against the church, sometimes we see that that is when the church grows the most. So we see this miracle happen. We see the lame begin to walk. And then in Acts 4, this is the next chapter, 1 through 4, here comes the critics. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed. They saw what they were doing. They were frustrated. They were the critic. They were the crowd. They were showing up to criticize because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of, dead, of the dead. So in verse 3, this is what they did. They seized Peter and John, and because it was in the evening time, they put them in jail until the next day. Let's check out verse 4. It says, but many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, if that's not multiplication, I don't know what is. 5,000 grew to 5,000. And we're impressed with five. But yet, Jesus can do some crazy math. Carry the one, multiply the ten, and see what you get. Right? But we see even though the critic was around, the word of the Lord still went forth. The church was encouraged. So we have to realize the critic and the crowd cannot hold back the church. So being, of the, being part of the church is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to deal with the crowd and the critic. You know. But you've got to realize the crowd and the critic, it's always based on convenience. You know, I always get the question, well, how long is your service going to be? I don't know. I know what time we start. You know, you can, get, you can think it's too long and walk out like Trey right here. It's like, man, hope you're getting coffee and coming back. Okay. <laughs> you know, the crowd and the critic, it wants to be convenient. You know, it's like the made to order. Man, I'm going to go through the drive through I want what I want when I want it. I want it hot. I want to get in and I want to get out. But if we were to realize what the presence of God does, that it changes a critic into the church. It causes the crowd to become a disciple that call, draws near to God and forever changes your life. The church became the church. It wasn't just a Sunday thing. It was a lifestyle thing. 
where we, we are the church. And you know, COVID, all of these things, when the church kind of couldn't meet and all these things, you figured out who the church was and who the church wasn't. And, you know, we talked about the church is about people. That's 100% correct. We are, it is about the people. Right? Now I'll tell you, when you go to your workplace and you go out of these doors, you're going to face the critic. You're going to face the crowd. Will you become part of the critic? Will you become a part of the crowd? Or will you stand as the church? All right. So Jesus and the disciples had to deal with the, cri- the critic and the crowd during their ministries, and so will you. I thank God that we live in a country that we can speak what we want, and we can speak boldly about the truths of God's Word. I don't know if it'll be like that forever. There's more oppression on Christianity and the church than I've ever seen. A lot, a lot of other states, some of the churches are still shut down. They never reopened. Now, for that to happen, man, that is of, of utmost concern because there is just something about the corporate gathering of coming together. It's encouraging. It's watching out for each other. It's, you know, we're, we're a church of a whole bunch of messed up people trying to make it. But we figured out if we're going to be all messed up, it's just funner to do it together. It's like the loony bin, man. It's like we were all messed up. But those used to stories, I hope that if, if we had the time and we, and, we had, and we could really see that we would all say, hey, let me tell you about my story. Let me tell you about my life. You know, and I, I've talked to some, some gentlemen in the church that they're frustrated a little bit because they're like, man, I wish I would have known the Lord years, decades ago. But listen, you can't do anything with the past. You're living in the present, but the future is ever before you. What are you going to do when the critic in the crowd comes? Maybe this morning you were part of the critic crew in the crowd. And God is saying, come into my church. Come near to me. Become a disciple. So which group do you identify with today? Are you a critic? Don't answer that. Are you part of the crowd? Maybe you can answer that, but I wouldn't answer that one either. Or are you part of the church? But when you realize that you and I, that we were a, I was or a, I had been, or I used to, and these are parts of our stories, we realize we're really part of the church. That Jesus has completely changed our story. Now some of you, your, your life is still an open book. He is still writing out the pages of your story. But through the cross, through Jesus, through your surrender, not running, everything can change. Jesus has completely changed our story. And for that, I hope you will be forever grateful. Once you realize that you've been touched by God's power, you will stop criticizing. You can no longer be just part of the crowd, and you have to become a follower of Christ. That's what it's about. It's being a follower of Christ. It's not just coming to church. You know, I have a lot of people that say, oh, I go to this church, I go to this church, and they never go. You're not part of that. You may say you are, but you're not part of that. Welcome back, youth. Y'all can come in, you sit down. I'm going to go for another hour because I told them I don't know when we finished. <laughs> I'm almost done wrapping up. To be a follower of Christ is to be an, a, a disciple. To be a follower of Christ is to be the church. You know, I think we are okay being Christians when it's convenient. But sometimes we want to deny that Christianity when it becomes difficult. 
but we're going to have to stand against that. So the church, we have to ignore the critic. We have to not be swayed by the opinions of the crowd. Matthew 16, 18. It says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's the church that the gates of hell will not come against. The army of one, you, yourself, and I, that can possibly over, be overcome. But the church as a whole, if we stand united, if we stand as one, if we become what God has always dreamed the church to be, a family, a community of relationships that serve the Lord wholeheartedly, that stand against the opposition of the crowd and the critic, and, 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 and say, whatever the cost, I'll follow you. That's what the church is really all about. Can you guys stand up with me? We'll get out of here. This morning, I know that the Spirit of God has already begun to do work in your life. But you can be a part of the family of God. Romans 2, 12, 2, it says, Do not copy the behaviors or the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. A new person. It says, by changing the way you think. It says, then you will learn to know God's will for you. So this is God's will for you. It is that it's going to be a good, pleasing, and perfect will. Any of y'all got trust issues in the room? Probably, right? Even though we've had trust issues, we have still put our trust in something or someone at some point. Thus, we had the trust issues, right? They either broke that trust, they broke our heart, they hurt us, they took advantage of us. I want you to try one more time and put your trust in Jesus, who promises to never leave or forsake you. He doesn't say that the road would be easy or that it would just be made straight and no issues, hunky-dory, the fairy tale. Following Christ is difficult. He says, I didn't say it would be easy, but he promised to be faithful every step of the way. This morning, are there some of you that say, you know what, I may have been a critic. I may have been a little bit of the crowd. But today I want to be part of the church. Can you raise your hand, just lift it up and put it back down? I think all of us to some degree, <laughs> right there on the fringe. God sees your heart. He knows. He saw your hand. You know, even if you were one of these. <laughs> he saw it. <laughs> like Little fingers like. I don't want to lift my hand like everybody's watching you. Ain't nobody watching you. It's a choice you got to make. But God is a great father. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is faithful. You know, even to those, when, those that are faithless, he is faithful. So I'm going to end this just like we started this. If you will come to the cross, it changes everything. He will give you a used-to story. And maybe for some of you, that story starts today. You just give your life to Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm a messed up dude. I don't have it all together. I'm in need of a Savior. I'm a sinner. But I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin. You died. You were buried. You were raised from the dead. Now you're sitting at the right hand of God. And I surrender my life. That surrender is a big thing. It's going to cost you something. It's not just praying a prayer and saying, okay, Lord, awesome. Glad we're homies now and you go your own way. That's not what it's about. 
a disciple is a follower of Jesus. It's that we are on this pursuit of following after something or someone. So your story changes, and then the rest of your life, you write out the roadmap of what your story looks like. All right, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each one here this morning. Lord, I pray that if we're part of the critic crowd, that you would break that off of our lives. Lord, I know we're critical at times, but help us not to be. Father, if we're just part of the convenience crowd that will serve you when it's convenient, Lord, I pray that you would just change that in our heart. Lord, that we would just move from the crowd and that we'd be sold out Christians for you. Lord, and then as we, if we categorize ourselves as the church, God, I pray that you would continually show us what you desire the church to be. Lord, I thank you that you're working in our lives. Maybe we see a lot of it. Maybe we don't. But Lord, we know that when we surrender, we find you. And when we find you, things begin to change. Lord, our lives are in your hands. Come and have your way in our hearts. This morning, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, and you may say, man, that's something I heard at VBS or kids camp or, you know, in a, in a kids classroom, it's just as true for adults. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, do it today. Say, come and have all of me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Come and live in my life. I give you my life. And then choose to follow. Your life will forever change. Amen. Hey, next week, we'll be back. Same place, same time. What time will we end? I don't know. But we'll be here at 1030. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.